Come on around back, Arizona. Time to get a little dirt under our fingernails. Smell that soil. <laughs> Tease your brother and spray him with the hose. Is this on a timer, by the way? I, I've always wondered if this was, you know. <laughs> Eight o'clock every Saturday morning. Gotta, gotta start watering. I'm telling you. You're tuned in to Rosie on the House. If you'd like to talk trees today, it's one 767 4348 That's 1-888-ROSIE for you. You can text questions to 411-923. Or if you have a uh, something you need to snap a picture of, if you need help with plant, tree, insect identification, you can email that to info at rosieonthehouse.com. Our Talking Trees host, John Eisenhower. ISA certified arborist is in studio, founder of Integrity Tree Service, and he's been a host of our Talking Trees. John, I think we're, I think we're close to four years now. Yeah, I was saying three or four years. Yes, uh. we'll have to go back and check. <laughs> it's been fun. It's gone by quickly. It has. Here we are at the end of another year and, and uh, getting ready to roll up our sleeves for some more tree work in the new year and kind of wrapping up this year with some plans and um, got a lot of fun stuff to talk about today, even though the pruning work is sort of slowing down this time of year. Um, there are some things to be thinking about as we turn the corner into the new year in terms of your... Well, well, what should I be thinking about? Tell me. Well, you know, we are always wanting to be keep in mind that our landscapes are evolving and they're growing. The plants, of course, are, are living things and our trees are the largest um, living plant we have in our yards, and they are growing and maturing into the landscape. I talked with a landscape architect this week about the need to be planning for, they're uh, considering some uh, new construction project, and they wanted my advice on whether this large eucalyptus tree, actually at their Wrigley Mansion, and whether they should keep this tree uh, as they head into this uh, large uh, uh, construction project and my advice was probably not to retain the tree. Even though it's a beautiful, mature tree, the risk of that tree uh, not being able to survive the, the construction project uh, uh, is too high. And in the, in the same is, is true of our landscape. Sometimes we have trees that have, have achieved and then exceeded their landscape purpose, their original landscape purpose, and they, they're going to have some difficulties as they mature. And we are recommending uh, a service that we provide for all of our, our, our clients, and that is to, you know, maybe once a year do an evaluation of your yard. What plans for the next 12 months? We uh, were met with a client yesterday, Sarah and I, my plant health care director, uh, meet with this uh, customer every year, and we talk about a management plan for their landscape for the coming year. It took us about an hour to do a walkthrough. We look at every tree. We inventory the yard, uh, take a, um, a kind of an assessment on what the pruning requirements will be for the various trees, what it, the fertilizing schedule will be, if there's any other spray services, any other uh, insect or disease issues that we're looking, looking at and dealing with. This customer in particular has a few uh, fly traps that are set up, insect collection traps, because she has a, 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 an issue with um, oleander uh, leaf, uh, leaf scorch, 
and there's a, an insect that vectors that disease, and we're just kind of tracking to see if we if we might uh, find that insect. But also there's some uh, some problems with our citrus trees. So these very inexpensive little uh, glue traps you can put in your yard, and they actually, if insects that fly into them get stuck in them, and then we can evaluate uh, the uh, what type of insects are are circulating in and around her, her garden. These are just things that we like to do, services that we offer. And what we've done for her now is we put together a, a simple spreadsheet that gives her a management plan for the next year. It helps her and her husband uh, uh, budget for the, the coming season and also uh, gives us a, a, a very clearly defined plan of, of action for the next 12 months. Real simple, things can change from quarter to quarter. You know, we do some fertilizing for her on, on, a, on a quarterly basis, and we do some pruning on a biannual basis. But most of the trees are done once a year, so we do our heavier pruning in the spring or early summer, and then during the other times of the year, we'll come in and do some quarterly uh, smaller services for her. But it breaks it up for her and also helps us to um, be treating the various tree species at the right time. Our deciduous trees get pruned in the winter, our citrus in the early spring, our mesquites in the summer. So you, various trees can be, can be pruned at the optimum time for, for that species. So having a, a quarterly maintenance plan uh, uh, works for some of our customers because it helps us to kind of divide up the work uh, throughout the, the annual season. So that's what we would recommend this time of year. It's a, it's a kind of a, a quiet time for our, our pruning, but there are certain things we can do this time of year especially as we turn the corner into the new year uh, in terms of planning. So I know this is kind of a post question, but let's say I was going to put some Christmas lights in a tree, and let's say that tree needed a little bit of pruning. Was it wrong to prune that before I hung the trees going into the winter? It was a deciduous. It was a mulberry. Yeah, it's not too, it's not too much of a risk. It depends on what you took out of it. I mean, if you took out 50% of the foliage to be able to hang your lights, well, that would be a... A problem not with re <laughs> with reference to the cold, but just um, robbing the tree of all that uh, leaf surface, which is ne needed for it to photosynthesize and stay healthy. But yeah, yeah, we recommend actually for people to prune their trees lightly before they put the lights in. It certainly gives you an easier time of of installing the lights and and uh, get some. They'll they'll carry that prune right through the holiday season. I think I'm okay then. I'm good, all right. Good. All right. And, and you can, as you said, deciduous trees can be pruned this time of year with a lot less uh, damage to the plants. In fact, we recommend December, January, uh, even right through into early February are perfect times to be trimming all of your deciduous trees. And what I just realized, <laughs> gosh darn it, John, I was going to bring you a bushel of lemons. Oh. We had the Wickenburg <laughs> Parade last night, so I didn't get home till after dark. But I was like, I, I got to bring John. We've got... Our two lemon trees are just exploded with full of lemons. And, wow. I mean, they're only five years old. I'm taller than these trees, but we have done nothing to them. I haven't trimmed them. I've just let them grow natural, keep their bush form. And you get down underneath that top layer where you've got a couple years growth where the uh, citrus harvest is, you know, they, they grow better on that older wood. Man, we've got more than we can eat. And talk wow. about fun being able to go out there and squeeze your lemon for your iced tea, because tea by itself to me, I've, I've got to do it Arnold Palmer style. I dump go. some lemonade there in there, go. get some mint leaves in there. <laughs> there you go, yeah. And it's nice just to even be able to 
mix in with a little bit of, of water, you know, it just really brightens up a, a glass of water in the summer to have some, a couple of lemon or lime uh, cubes that have been frozen in your fridge. So yeah, juice those lemons and limes this time of year, freeze up a bunch of, in, uh, a bunch of the juice in ice cube trays, then just dump the ice cube trays into a bunch of Ziploc bags and keep those in the freezer and and they can go a long way in the in the summer to, to brighten up your, you know, whatever drinks you you're, you're up in it to brew up. Well, yeah. tell me about this crepe myrtle. You've brought in a, a tree of the month, and and we're we're talking about a crepe myrtle. Do I have that right? Yeah. Speaking of deciduous trees that can be pruned this time of year, all of your your trees and shrubs that lose their leaves in the winter, they're called deciduous trees they can be pruned during the winter, and that's really the, your optimum time. The sap flows is a lot lighter, and it's a, a great time to be uh, pruning back your ash trees, your elm trees, your cottonwoods, your mulberries, your pecans, and the crepe myrtle. Crepe myrtle is a, is a small, a relatively small tree, very, very common in the Midwest and in the South, uh, and they there's a couple of varieties that are uh, adaptable to our climate. And the more I see this tree in the landscapes, the more I like it. Years ago, I saw a few that struggled uh, because they are, a, a, you know, a little more uh, sun-sensitive is a good word. Uh, and if they're not planted in, a, in, a, in a, a nicely irrigated area, they can struggle. But man, I've seen a few in the last number of years that have done so well here, and they are a prolific blooming plant. Uh, uh, tree and uh, you won't go wrong if you're looking for a a, a, a nice tree uh, for a small location nice blooming tree bear in mind that it's going to lose its leaves in the winter and look and look bare but gosh during the, the spring and summer and fall it's just, just one of those really nice uh, patio we call it like a patio tree suitable for those smaller areas and when deciduous always and small I always think of great opportunities to uh, I can't remember the exact technical term, but it's where they sculpt them on a trellis. A mm -hmm. lot of times when we have homeowners that have a really hot west or south-facing wall, mm -hmm. instead of spending a lot of money trying to uh, you know, build shades or extensions, just put a, a trellis 6 to 12 inches off of it, sure. off the wall, and then put something deciduous. That way in the winter, when it's lost its leaves, that some... You sun get some of that, that solar radiant. energy comes through, and you enjoy the sun. But then in the in the spring, it leaves back air out. Airspace, and, and that's so easy. important in insulation. Is if you could create an airspace, and you've got this, you know, Beautiful. green crepe myrtle yeah. that's you've kind of helped grow along this trellis. Would you need two or three to do, let's say, a a, a thirty foot wall? You might, and that that type of pruning is called espalier. It's Thank a you. French type of of pruning where you train a, a tree or a shrub to grow against a trellis or against a wall. They're really popular in, in Portland, Oregon. There's a couple of huge walls, and they've, they've grown apple trees up the walls. And so these are fruit-bearing apple trees, and they, but they've grown on basically on a flat surface, and the, and the branches are tied and trained to the branches as they grow. They just continually um, lightly tie them to the, to the trellis. And there's these beautiful fruit-bearing walls, and they're very narrow. They're only a foot or, you know, 18 inches out from the wall. The trellis might be six or eight inches out, uh, and then the, the, the plant itself grows a few more inches beyond the, beyond the trellis. But very narrow applications. Um, we've had a, uh, some of our, our customers have actually trellised 
uh, apple trees along the back fences of their yards. But you have to have adequate sunlight from certain angles. In fact, a western exposure is really nice. If you have one of those large 30-foot walls that's west or south facing that takes a lot of heat during the summer, maybe consider building a trellis, maybe a, a metal or a wood trellis, and then start uh, growing either some shrubs or vines up into that trellis to provide a nice insula- like a insulation layer against that wall to cut some of that um, that reflected heat off those surfaces. You want to talk trees? one 767 brought in the crepe myrtle this month talking trees for our tree of the month and we've got jerry online she wants to talk about the crepe myrtle welcome to the broadcast jerry hi there um i moved here about three years ago and um i've gardened my whole life and i was really excited about what i was going to do different here from what i'd done in southern california and i found out that yes you could grow crepe myrtles here That's what I was told initially. Then uh, I went to, I won't name the nurseries, and, you know, they look terrible. They just look terrible. Then I got on the Internet and did a search, and all these people (laughs) were saying, no, 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 no. I mean, I, I think there was one positive example, and it was somebody that was living in Mesa that had managed to get that to grow. Mm-hmm. Now, they, they, they list all the, uh, I mean, some of the nurseries say we have uh, like six or seven different varieties that will work here, all of which when I asked people who had, you know, supposedly had experience said, forget it, they won't work. That can't be true from what you're saying. Yeah. I they think- must grow. Yeah, they do, and so, they, they they do they do well. They do need to have a a a good, healthy growing environment, a nice, well drained soil, and they need to be fertilized maybe a little more often than a native tree might. But they are um, they're so well adapted to uh, uh, our climate. If you get the right varieties, again, John J. Harper would be a great one to uh, to talk to regarding the specific cultivars that they have that are adapted to to our climates. You know they are more suitable to other um, other parts of the country, um, but they they have certain ones that are really good for this um, lower desert climb. And I I would uh, you know consult the nurseries again, uh, lean on them. You know I think a lot of the uh, uh, the problems that we have are because we don't have the right cultural conditions around our trees. Uh, a nice uh, amount of organic soil worked into the uh, the, the soil around our trees. To help give get them a, a, a good head start, but yeah, the ones I've seen in recent years have been just really beautiful. Again, uh, sometimes a microclimate is important. The ones do really well on a north exposure on your house, so they're not getting that beat up in that uh, that uh, uh, mid to late afternoon sun. Uh, so try to again keep them in a well irrigated um, area, uh, protected from afternoon sun, and you should have no problem at all. You'd mentioned Jay. He's Every time we get questions about something a little exotic, maybe it's a avocado or a mm-hmm. banana, and 
will tell him, you know, that's really not a great one. He's like, I, I stopped saying that because I'll always get the call from a half dozen. Oh, I've got one, and it does great, and blah, blah, blah. But just like you said, the microclimate that they had to put to make this work, and I'm not saying the crepe myrtle's that sensitive, but whoever Jerry could have been talking to, uh, if, if this is somebody that moved in from out of state, had a brand new home with a bare landscape and stuck a crepe myrtle right in the middle, surrounded right. by three block walls. Well, one, one <laughs> of the big problems property. that we have is that there are a lot of different cultivars that are being sold, I'm sorry to say, through some of our big box stores that, that are national chains that, that you know sell them across several different regions of the country and without re- regard to their adaptability to a climate like ours. I would rely upon some of the local companies uh, this, the local nurseries that source their materials specifically for this area. So look for your smaller uh, nurseries where they they can give you those um, uh, specific qualifiers for the, they're 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 not going to be shopping for trees that don't do well here. And the big box stores can afford to dump some of that uh, inventory out on an unknowing public. And I've seen that happen. There's a, there's a lot of fruit trees at some of those big box stores that. Uh, have don't have enough chill hours. Uh, we don't have enough um, chill hours here to even uh, allow those to bear fruit. So lean on your local nurseries, um, and I think you'll be a lot happier. Well, and what is why is that? What is a chill hour? Well, those are the chill the re, the number of hours below forty degrees that a, uh, fruit trees require to be able to bear fruit, and that and those chill hour requirements vary from tree to tree. And species to species, and um, generally we tell people that uh, you have to have a minimum of 150 chill hours, or a, about 150 maximum chill hour requirement for trees to do well. Or even 200 uh, can sometimes be more than what we get in a in a given year. Uh, sometimes we'll have a very mild winter, and you will not get 200 chill hours. So if you've got a 250 or 300 chill hour um, uh, stone fruit, it will not, it simply won't bear fruit that year. So look for those ones that have a chill hour requirement kind of in 150 to 200 uh, hour range, and you'll be pretty safe uh, that, that, or pretty confident that it'll bear fruit here in Arizona. one 767 4348 We've got four calls lined up, but one line open. We'll come back after this and run through them all. one 767 4348 or you can text 411923. It's Rosie on the House with you every Saturday morning. We lost him, Gary. John's picking on his guitar. See if you can get his attention. Put a six-string six down for a few minutes while we can take some calls here. Yeah, me and my buddies out here. <laughs> Let's bring in the banjo. Josh in from Phoenix wants to talk about tangerines. Good morning and welcome to the program. Hey, guys. Actually, it's my tangelo tree I got. Tangelo. I, uh, I planted it about three years ago, and I made a huge mistake and planted it entirely too deep. Um. I listened to the show frequently and realized it wasn't growing because I had the root ball or the ball and the neck pretty well covered up. So I've cleared it away and I, I built a barrier up around the edge and I pull all the, the crud out of it that falls into it every time. But it's still sitting a good 14 inches below the, the, the lip. And 
and I'm tired of cleaning stuff out, and I'm wondering, is it possible to dig it up, replant it, you know, throw some soil in and replant it in the same spot, or is that going to destroy the tree that's finally given me some tangelos after the last three years of effort? Well, good. I'm glad you're getting some fruit out of it. That's a good question on whether you can reset the tree. We have done it and done it successfully several times, but it depends on the age and maturity of the tree and whether you can get all the roots out when you move it. If you think you can confidently dig around it and get, you know, 80% of the roots out and be able to lift that entire root ball without it falling apart on you and lift it up to um, to grade and then, you know, backfill under it, of course, you will have to have some soil ready to put back underneath it. Uh, to lift it up to proper grade, uh, I would go for it. But sometimes if they've been in the ground for three or four years, it is, uh, they're getting larger. And there's a lot more tree to preserve during that process. This would not be the time I would do it. If you're going to try to do that, I would wait until after the middle of February, early March to try that transplant. But I, I know what you mean. Having it that deep below the surrounding grade, it's, it, it's sort of a, a, a pain in the butt. If you don't want to risk losing it, um, you might want to just consider putting up with the trouble. If you're already getting fruit, um, maybe that's a small price to pay to have to clean up uh, that little uh, basin that you've created around it, because it sounds like you've done the right thing. You've got down to the trees getting adequate, and uh, if it's bearing fruit, may, I would probably leave it rather than risk losing that tree altogether. And I think it's one more chore for the kids to add on the list then. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> no. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for the call. Let me just ask a question. He said he listens regularly. Um, would you do this? You had mentioned kind of leaving it alone. He he said, I'm finally getting it now after three bowls. It takes about three to five years to start producing. Right. Now well, that it this, is, would you just kind of leave it alone for a year and see what happens? Before? Yeah, in, in this case, he, he planted the tree deep, and as a result, the tree was languishing and not bearing fruit. He... He rec- recognizing that the tree was too deep in the soil, he dug down around the trunk of the tree down to the the first uh, course of roots and down to that first layer of roots. And then he excavated the soil out to a certain radius around the tree, removed that soil entirely. And and then once the tree, the, the root system starts getting adequate oxygen, it will start producing fruit. It'll start growing better. Uh, but uh, he uh, then... The problem is, is the tree is at a lower level of than than the surrounding soil, so I recommend building a terrace around that uh, that basin. It might be 18 inches, two feet out from the tree, but you've got to build a, a little terrace to prevent the soil from caving in and uh, getting back down around the, the stem of the tree. And uh, we've done that successfully. We've built terraces with brick or with a riprap and just some rock uh, to kind of hold the soil in place on the sides uh, in that the transition zone between the uh, the grade around the tree and the surrounding grade. And it works pretty good. But, I, you know, if the tree's young enough and you, and you just have discovered it on a newly planted tree, I would recommend redigging it, lift it in the soil, put some soil underneath it, and lift it up to the surrounding grade so you don't have to deal with that basin, which tends to uh, always collect not just leaf litter, but the soil tends to erode and find its way back down around the trunk of the tree. You bring your jacket? Did I bring a jacket? I'm going up to Flagstaff now, talking to Jerry. Is that right? Good. Might might need a little jacket on. Good morning, Jerry. Welcome to the program. Uh, Good morning, gentlemen. How are you? 
Doing, I'm doing well. Um, I'm inside. I got my fire going. I, I don't have a jacket on. All right. <laughs> Can cozy. we come in? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, welcome to come and warm your, your feet by the hearth. Sounds good. Um, what can we do for you today? Yeah. Hey, I, I, uh, I, um, I, you know, the city and the uh, Forest Service is is uh, thinning. They are thinning the uh, ponderosas around town, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and uh, mostly for protecting the watershed and and for catastrophic fires. Um, the the forest comes right down through the city and into our our lots and mm-hmm. stuff. And so, I have quite a few ponderosas. I'm thinking about thinning them out. And I was just curious, uh, what do you think would be a good space to to leave between the ponderosas so that when they're mature, they're they're healthy and attractive? Well, that's a a good question. I just was up with a, at a friend of at a friend's uh, cabin right off the 89A, going out of Flagstaff just a month month or so ago, and I could not believe what the Forest Service is doing in some of those areas. They have really come in and and done some serious thinning all around the, the, the county fairgrounds and the archery range and um, it, just big piles of slash everywhere. And they have really, I'm, I'm certain you and your fellow Flagstaff residents are well aware of that, of that thinning project that's going on. I am, I was pretty amazed at how clear cut those areas look. And I know that they're trying to pre- pre- prevent a catastrophic fire from reaching the city limits and getting uh, you know, sweeping right through the town, and so they have to be pretty drastic. I would not be thinning quite that heavily if it's on your own property just for the sake of the health of the remaining trees and because of their erosion risk. Um, but, the, uh, of course, if you do thin out trees in your yard, you're making room uh, for sunlight to get to other plants and other trees. And the other, as you said, it's a healthy, there's a healthy distance between trees so that those that, that remain in the, in the yard will have adequate sun, uh, adequate exposure, and, and will actually be able to grow to their full height and, and, and width and, and spread uh, without, um, without a lot of conflict with other, other plants. So from the, from the firewise standpoint of, of preventing fire risk, you know, re- removing some of those high-fuel, smaller plants, which become ladder fuels, which um, help the fire to get to the tops of your ponderosas, I'd concentrate on those first, removing some of the manzanita and some of the, the small pinion and some of the other brush junipers that might be, uh, and locust and oaks and others that are smaller uh, trees that grow up underneath the ponderosas, Start by thinning those, and then, and then, uh, and then start working toward the larger trees. If you feel like you still need to thin out some of the ponderosas, uh, you might want to consult um, Larry Phillips with Super Tree in Flagstaff, or even contact the Forest Service and have have one of their reps come out and do a walkthrough with you and talk about Firewise and and what they would recommend if you have your residential lot that's adjoining some forest land and see how you can cooperate with their efforts and. Um, maybe someone in that lo- your local area could give you some more advice in terms of specific distances between trees. I, I really can't um, uh, weigh in on on some of those specifics, but I think uh, you'd be you know well advised to get some local advice. While we're on the topic of thinning, you want to talk about tree and stump removal in our talking points today. Before we get to Chatty wants to talk about a Texas ash tree, or Kathy wants to talk about citrus. We have a couple text questions to run through as well. What uh, what are our talking points in tree removal and stump removal? Well, 
you know, we we do a fair amount of tree removal in town, and we we only do it when there's really a need for it. But some trees, well, all trees have a reason and a season. They were installed for a specific landscape purpose. Sometimes that reason and season expire in that the trees achieve their landscape purpose. They exceed it, and they become uh, a liability rather than an asset in the landscape. And sometimes at that point, we have to weigh the, the, the pros and the cons, the benefits and the costs of, of maintaining these larger trees. Uh, sometimes there's a risk of branch failure. Sometimes there's a risk of, of root encroachment on surrounding landscape. Sometimes the trees are just getting older and they're full of decay, and uh, they, they might just be a, a maintenance headache because they uh, have become a bit of a nuisance in dumping litter uh, in your yard and everyone, everyone's yard around yours. And sometimes we just have to say it might be better to make room for something different. As I was saying earlier in the broadcast, our landscapes are evolving, and, and a tree removal should be part of any good tree maintenance plan long term. And as we're turning the corner into the new year, maybe you can think of an area in your yard where maybe you would prefer to have a bit more of a view. Uh, maybe you, you could, you, uh, you'd like to see a smaller plant, uh, a smaller tree in a location where you have a larger tree now. And may, uh, I would certainly recommend getting a, an arborist to come alongside. We do this routinely as part of our, our maintenance advice we give our, our clients is just to help them walk through a property and say, hey, maybe uh, think about this. What if we took this tree out and or this tree out here? Uh, and, and we can begin to think long term about how the, the landscape would, be, would benefit from some of these uh, and, uh, these removals because now you're letting more sunlight into the yard. You're allowing some more possibilities. Starting out with a clean palette sometimes is a, is is wonderful just to be able to start over with a new landscape design. And sometimes tree removal is part of that process. And it's always a lot easier to manage a tree when it's a controlled removal versus waking up and finding out it's toppled over and your porch is gone. <laughs> The doghouse has crashed. This is true. I, I'm sure you've seen that postcard of that saguaro that's on top of that old Buick that's completely <laughs> smashed. <laughs> yeah, it's always good to be proactive in terms of these management plans. And and uh, as I said, tree removal is a is is difficult sometimes. We don't uh, like to have to take trees down, and we're we are rooting for the trees and recommend trying to retain trees whenever we possibly can. But there are those times when. That reason and season have expired, and it's time to think of, of something different down the road. What's the best practices in stump removal? Because you don't always pull the whole root ball out. Yeah, sometimes we'll, on a smaller tree, we'll dig down and actually uh, dig around the tree and take out, uh, dig out the roots. And uh, But most commonly, we use a, a mechanical stump grinder, which uh, with has a revolving disc with the cutting teeth on it, and it actually pulverizes the, the stump and uh, pretty quickly um, gets, gets rid of the stump down to about a, a 10 or 12-inch depth, and then that usually breaks up the root ball itself, and sometimes we'll chase the radiating roots a distance from the trunk as well to uh, get the uh, surrounding area back to the normal grade, and then we take up a lot of the, the, the grinding materials or put them back down in the hole and level the soil again, and get that landscape back to normal. Chad and Kathy, we're coming back to you. Hang tight. It's Rosie on the house.
Sounding good. We've got some questions here about citrus. Uh, one texture in particular is suffering with... Uh, they have two dwarf orange trees. Has a lot of new shoots popping out. And wants to know, should I trim them or leave them alone? I would probably leave them alone. You know, if it's only a couple here that are sprouting just a little, that are sticking outside the main canopy of the tree, you could clip those off. But if you're getting a lot of new sprout growth, this is not the time to be cutting it back. If we do get any frost damage, it freezes from the outside in. So it would be better that it would be that, that little sprout growth that gets frozen rather than for it to freeze deeper into the tree. So I'd probably leave those little sprouts on uh, until uh, mid-February. And I don't think we're it, this is going to be the year. We're due another deep freeze, but I, I don't anticipate this one below 2,000 feet, probably even three. But I, what it's done for mine is it's been a full growth season. They haven't really gone dormant. It's amazing. I got, I've got new shoots. Just make sure they are shoots and they're not suckers coming up. You want right. to make sure and keep those suckers yeah, off. I meant to you know, say that we also had a, had a bumper crop of limes this year. You know, we've had if you if your lime trees make it through a, a winter without a deep fr freeze, they just do really well here. If you get two or three uh, back to back uh, mild winters, uh, your lime tree like mine can just go crazy. I've got one that's just it's every bit of twenty two feet tall, and it's just it, a monster with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of those little limes. Does that mean there will be a bumper crop of margaritas, too, at the same time? <laughs> just just ask. Very well could be. Okay. I'm if in. You need Wait, some, i got to go you, check the cactus crop If you need any first. limes, <laughs> you can come get as many as you can you can rake. Um, but, yeah, the uh, uh, the lemons and limes are just prolific this year. So, yeah, get them to your neighbors. Put them out on the street. You know, let you just put a little a bag out there with a sign that says, free. And you'd be surprised how, how many neighbors walk past our place and on their, their neighborhood uh, stroll, and those bags are empty pretty quick. Just wait. What's John got? What's John got? Yeah. LGP's listening this morning, our urban farmer, Greg Peterson, and want to talk about chill hours briefly. Yeah. Well, I, Greg uh, just phoned in and corrected me. I'm glad he, we have a local fruit tree expert here in the Valley listening in this morning. And Greg reminded me that we get to... 300 and three to 400 chill hours per year. So the recommendation is to get a fruit tree that has at least 250 chill hours uh, uh, to be sure that you'll get fruit nearly every year. So if you're at that 250 or below, uh, you will definitely get fruit every year. Uh, if you start getting up over 350, 400, then you're going to you run the risk of not getting quite enough chill hours to, to bear fruit. And those are kind of fun sometimes to get one if you've got the property in the room and the design space for it that, you know, you get one that you only get every four or five years. It's something to look forward to that, hey, you know, the the real cold winter where all these other things don't now, don't, you know, might be freezing, you don't get the produce. You've got this one over here that's your, that's, that's your champion uh, <laughs> five-hour chill. Well, we have one, we have one plum tree that's, it's, it's, a, it's huge. It's, it's probably 25 feet tall. It's never borne fruit. It's got. We're not really even sure what it is. I need Greg to come out and, and tell us. He sold it to us 15 years ago, but I don't know what the darn thing is. It's got gets these little tiny peach-like fruits on them that never come to full maturity, and but the thing is is giant. But we love it. But even though it has hasn't borne fruit, it's a beautiful, beautiful shade tree and it grows really fast. So 
Um, yeah, if you did have a, a fruit tree that had too high a chill hour requirement, it's still going to be a beautiful landscape tree. It just won't bear fruit. Let's get Kathy, who's online, wants to talk about her citrus tree. She thinks it's dying. Good morning, Kathy, and welcome to the program. Good morning. Hello, hello. Hello, how are you? Doing well. How can we help you? Good. I was wondering about, I have a grapefruit tree that's been an awesome tree, and I'm on irrigated property, and I fertilize it three times a year. But it started dying on one part of the tree, and it's just kind of moving through the tree now. All the leaves started to get kind of mottled, and now I've noticed even the bark. Um, I deep soak that thing a lot, even sometimes be in between my fertil or my irrigation. So I, there's a few, there's a pine tree here that they, they're just like dying on one branch. So mm -hmm. I'm just wondering if there's some fungus or something weird going on around here. Well, there are some fungal pathogens that are active throughout the valley that could be responsible for uh, for the problems you're experiencing with your citrus trees. Uh, I would suggest, first of all, just to be careful that you moderate the water. The root zone of the tree needs to dry out adequately between waterings. You don't want to be putting water on top of water on top of water. Mm -hmm. That can lead to uh, some uh, an environment. You're creating an environment that's conducive to fungal pathogens to become active. Sometimes some of these uh, fungal uh, uh, agents are are, are, they're latent in our soil. They're there. They're part of our soil biology. and But they only are active and, and damaging when the conditions are right. And quite often those conditions are wet or over-wet conditions. So just be careful that you're not watering too much. Sometimes people water with the feeling that, hey, well, I don't want to be sure. I want to be sure I'm giving my tree adequate irrigation, but they might be actually doing more damage if they don't allow that uh, soil profile to dry out which allows oxygen into the, uh, into the root system, uh, which is essential for cell metabolism to take place in the root zone. So uh, deep watering and then allow that soil to dry out properly and then water again. If that's uh, six, seven days later, 10 days later, it might vary from place to place, but don't overwater. And if you feel like there might be a fungal pathogen active, uh, you can you know call and get a, a, a certified arborist out to... Look over the, um, the yard and, and maybe take a soil or a tissue sample and, and do an analysis, and maybe we can track it down. John Eisenhower, iTrees, iTreeService.com. iTreeService.com, the letter I, treeservice.com. Thanks for your time this Saturday morning. Enjoy. Hey, we, we'll see you in, uh, in January. We're going to be talking the live Southern Oak will be our tree of the month. So between now and then, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. Great. Talk to you soon.